Welcome to Northern Gold, a football podcast from Evening Express and Press and Journal. I'm Ryan Crail. Today I'm joined by the two Pauls, Paul Chalk, Paul Third, and Jamie Durant. How are we guys? Are we good? Yeah, we're okay. All right. Thank you very much. Unexpected week off. What did you well, weekend off? What did you do last weekend? Uh, I went swimming and I did a bit of gardening. Uh, I was glued to the TV, especially Sunday. I was working on Sunday in the office. Oh, yeah, 30, 30 reminding us all that he was hard, hard at work on Sunday, <laughs> right? Football should be back this coming weekend. We'll be discussing if Aberdeen will have been disappointed they didn't get the chance to take on a Wounded Rangers last weekend, while Paul has also been looking at this weekend's opponents. Hebs is a few other dons-related matters to tie up, as well as Ross County. Malcolm McKay doesn't think they've been too disrupted by last weekend's suspension of play. Inverness Dundee, or should I say Dundee against Inverness, to look ahead to. That's a big game in the Championship. There's also Park Rangers. Cove, Cove coming up against the role player Harry Mulnair and we've got Peterhead and Elgin City to discuss as well but yes, Aberdeen first of all eh, 30 I, going into the Rangers game last weekend, I felt there was maybe a feel that, and I know Sean Wallace eh, also thought this because he discussed it on last week's Northern Goal but maybe a sense that Rangers were vulnerable, um, difficult to say because obviously I think the games they'd lost in the build-up to that Aberdeen clash that was, of course, postponed because of the Queen's death were against Celtic and Ajax and Aberdeen are obviously, with the greatest respect, um, of a slightly lesser calibre than those sides, um, especially Ajax. But will they be will they be disappointed they didn't get to play Rangers at that juncture? I think so. I mean... When you look at it, I think it was just a, it was a perfect storm brewing in Aberdeen's favour in a way. In that, it, yeah, there's that two heavy defeats for Rangers four four nil back to back, both away. It was a midweek in Amsterdam, coming back and then having to get up to Petodri for a lunchtime kickoff on a Saturday. It was all little things that you thought this might just help Aberdeen, and I think certainly Don's fans felt that way, as if this was a real chance of a. Of getting that second spot, even if it is going to be a short term, who knows? But it was a real opportunity for a feel good factor to be built, and it didn't happen for reasons we know we are all very understanding about. Um, but it's, I mean, it's been a decent start for the Dons. The Motherwell loss aside, I think, but a wounded Rangers were coming to Petodri after a midweek mauling in Amsterdam, and, and I just think it could have become a very good start of the season if it had been able to go ahead because I think Aberdeen really fancied their, their chances at the weekend there. Hibs, this weekend at Easter Road, you've been looking into Saturday's opponents. I suppose there are quite a lot of parallels between Hibs and Aberdeen, new managers. I know Lee Johnson came in slightly later than Jim Goodwin, but heavily rebuilt over the summer I don't think we can rely on either team to be totally consistent yet, nor should we be probably expecting them to be totally consistent yet. But I think you outlined the, the threat for Hibs. The key threat remains Martin Boyle. Well, it has to be. I mean, when you're looking at Hibs, you have to look at him because he's probably the most expensive guy they've got in the team. He's certainly been the most prolific out of anyone. And it's such a new look side and a very young one at that, that an old head who is a proven commodity in Scottish football, is, is clearly going to be the threat. Now, it, what, what's interesting is, 
it's, we're seeing a different Martin Boyle second time round at Easter Road. And, and that seems a silly thing to say because he only left in January. But he had a much more freedom under Jack Ross and Sean Maloney than he has now under Lee Johnson. He was, he's been used mainly as a, a centre-forward in Saudi Arabia and, and he did lead the line against Rangers in the 2-2 draw when he came back and he, and he scored in that, in that game. But, but Johnson seems to want him out in the right, by and large, and with more strikers having come in on deadline day, it seems to me certainly that that's where his, his long-term future now lies. Easter Road is out wide, right? I no, I I think the jury's still out on whether that is going to be the best position for Boyle. Um, as I highlighted in that analysis piece that I, I'd written, um, and St Mirren's Richard Tate completely nullified him when the Buddies beat them 1-0 last month. I suppose um, what you're probably looking for from Hayden Coulson is, you know, well, you're looking for the hold-ons defence to be organised when they don't have the ball, but Hayden Coulson as well to, you know, ask questions if Martin Boyle's going to be tasked with also tracking back and following him, you know, making sure he's getting forward at every opportunity and, you know, testing him that way, perhaps tiring him out that way, giving him other things to think about. That's the interesting part, is how Jim Goodwin goes about this. Um, Does he say to Coulson, right, I know you like getting forward, so just keep doing that and make sure he's having to go with you? Or are you saying, Johnny Hayes, just hold off a bit and stop him? Because as we know, Boyle loves to run from deep, get on the ball and, and drive forward, but if he's not getting the ball, then he's, got, he's not going to have an impact on the game at all. Or, I suppose, option three is, do you tell Coulson, right, I don't want you crossing the halfway line, stay deep, stay narrow, and just make sure that Boyle is getting no encouragement at all to push forward because he knows you're always there waiting for him. In terms of um, the Dons lineup, Connor Barron, I believe, is back in full training now. Hugely influential in the second half of last season. Where where do you think he fits in the Dons team? I think it's probably a bit easier if Jim Goodwin wanted to throw him in straight away this weekend. I don't think he will, but if he did, I think Leighton Clarkson's still being suspended and being the guy that's been playing as that advanced central midfielder. That you know, it's. I think that's where Goodwin, um, where I believe sees Barron, um, in that sort of advanced midfield role, the ten, if you want to call it that. But with with Clarkson available, everyone else available, where do you still think Barron fits there as his first choice? That's, that's, a, that's a big call because Clarkson's scored a couple of spectacular goals, as we've seen. Um, I think Connor Barron's a guy you can use in two roles. He he can be the deeper guy alongside a Ramadani or, or McCrory, or he can be that number 10, as you're, as you're talking about, alongside Hayes and, and Bejewin. Um all things being equal, Leighton Clarkson's two-game suspension would open the door for Barrett to come in, but it's a big call to throw him straight in this weekend when he hasn't really kicked a ball at all in pre-season. You could be looking at a reshuffle with Shaden Morris or Dante Palvara coming into the side, or even a run-out for Duke, because as we know, he's been knocking on the door after his recent contributions. But when when he's up and running, I think... Barron gives you that that option to to tweak things depending on what you're what you're looking for because McCrory might have to drop back the centre half. McCrory might be looked to offer that drive up and down the midfield, and that then means well, what do I need from Barron? And he can offer you that flexibility. The avenue I was going to go down was 
whether it makes more sense to play Barron over Clarkson because Barron's an Aberdeen player, but there's been a clamouring to see the Duke and Boyan Mayovsky, who Jim Goodwin's already kind of hinting that, you know, there could be clubs interested in him already based on his performances for the Dons just a few weeks into his Aberdeen career. But is, is this the weekend we see the Duke and Mayovsky together in a front two? I think we might see them together, but do we see them in a front two? I don't think so. I could see Duke leading the line and Mayovsky maybe dropping back one because I think he's kind of played that role for, for Macedonia. Um, he he can be he can be the ten if it comes to it. now we haven't seen that yet and it'll be interesting if if he's asked to to do that role but he can lead the line he can drop off there is a, a lot more flexibility in this Aberdeen team compared to what we had a year ago I think um, oh it's gonna be tough it's gonna be tough I want to see Duke in the team because I think he just wreaks havoc he's as Raw as a pun, I mean, but he's fascinating. He's <laughs> so interesting to watch. And he gets people excited because I don't think he knows what he's going to do. Never mind us sitting watching him. Aberdeen announced, looking slightly further ahead, that there are two games against Dundee United away at Tanadice um, next month. And then in November, Pataudry are going to be kicking off at 6 p.m. A kind of ongoing experiment. It seems to be all this uh, the American-based owners or you know the owners that have kind of experience or you know regular attendance at American sports so that's Ron Gordon at Hibbs uh, Mark Ogren isn't it at Dundee United and Dave Cormack of course with Aberdeen they seem to be convinced that there are better ways to do things better times to play games that kind of not only make it possible for more fans to get along to the game in person but also you know maybe are better for exposure to international audiences um do we think 6 p.m kickoffs are going to be a success i i perhaps think there could be uh it could help get people along but it could also stop other people from getting along that would otherwise have have went to the games i mean i would like to see the or like to hear or see the kind of the the reasoning or research behind it i know that sounds probably a quite boring kind of (laughs) nitty-gritty detail kind of things but I'd like to see what research kind of indicates to them that um, a 6 p.m. time is feasible. I mean, they'd have to, they're having to do it for certain games that involve minimal travel, and otherwise you're going to be disadvantaging one set of supporters. And we saw it last season because Dundee-Aberdeen was flexed to like a 6 p.m. kickoff last season to, I don't know, well, I think the reason was for an international broadcast, but I don't think we ever got any feedback as to how that how that was received, how that went across the board. Did they see a spike in in viewers from from America? Because you've got two clubs that are, have uh, US based um, owners or chairmen, and I don't think it affect. I don't think it'll affect the attendance too much. But I can. I've seen that that's the reason that they've given it this time around. I think that they want to trial new ways to bring in supporters rather than last time saying they wanted to. Uh, do it for kind of international broadcast reasons. I mean, I don't know what big a difference 6pm makes, given that kind of the chances are you're going to be coinciding with a Premier League game in England as well. Because I'm sure there's always like a, there's always a 5.30 kickoff in in England that you're going to be going up against. So will that improve things or not? Um, I mean, in terms of ideas suggested by US owners, I think it's going to go nowhere near the uh, the level of crazy that we've seen this week, um, given given the uh, mootings of a an all star game in England. But I'm just not sure it's I'm just not sure it's the answer to 
the getting people down to to games or to kind of draw extra interest in. I know and I noticed that I think it's been obviously said before that these group of owners that kind of came together to try and th- find new ways of improving Scottish football or the marketing of Scottish football, they are all kind of US based or American kind of owners of of clubs. So I don't know whether it's a little bit of a closed shop in terms of thinking of what ideas and could be used, but I guess we'd we'd need to see some sort of kind of like data or figures that come out of the other end of it to say whether it's a success or not. And we've not really had that from when it's been done previously or this time either, whether it, it is a viable option longer term or whether it's just something that kind of tries and you try it and fails once and you kind of just leave it. I think it's a suck it and see. It's a suck it and see proposal, this one. Um, I actually prefer a Friday night game, if we're being honest, because um, it gives fans a whole weekend too. But I can see how getting off your work to go to a night game on a Friday could be problematic for some. So it, with that in mind, Saturday probably is worth a go. But look, the elephant in the room here is we're in Scotland. Our train service is an utter shambles. You can't get from Glasgow or Edinburgh to Aberdeen after a certain time of day. It's a logistical nightmare. As any Tartan Army fan going to Hamden on Wednesday for the Ukraine game will be able to tell you, six o'clock is probably as late as you can go for an evening kickoff in this country now for people to be able to use public transport properly. For me, this actually begs the question, why aren't we trying six o'clock as a kickoff for midweek games? these days. At least it would give people a chance of getting home at a reasonable hour. But then you'd have the issue of that people wouldn't be able to get to games <laughs> if they wouldn't be able to, because they'd have to finish work early to then, I don't know, get public transport down the road to go to games. But Jamie, if, if Aberdeen are playing at Ibrox, if they're playing at Paisley, Kilmarnock, Easter Road, Livingston, you're, it's a half day, pretty much, to get down to that game anyway. But at least you're not getting home at 12, 1 in the morning. You can you can be back in your house by about eleven, half eleven, which is decent. It's a big difference, and you might even get some kids. I, I, I dare to, I say this: people are going to get taking the kids out of school in a half day. But hey, <laughs> let's be honest, it happens. I think, yeah, as you say, maybe six pm Saturday kickoffs are good for guys nearby, guys and girls nearby that maybe fancy a sort of blockbuster start to their night out maybe it won't be a blockbuster but yeah away fans home fans that maybe travel from further afield it starts to become slightly more problematic anyway i think that's maybe enough on the dons for this week so next up we'll discuss ross county who malky mckay insists were you know it was business as usual despite the weekend suspension of play Right, Chalky, I was quite interested, to be fair. Um, Malky Mackay, I think, probably reflected what a lot of other clubs were thinking about last weekend's game being off. You know, they, they play, had to play a bounce game on Saturday, you know, to I suppose, try as much as they could to um, recreate the game they would have played on the Saturday in terms of fitness for the players, um, getting a run out. Then give them a couple of days off. Then they had their usual structure of four days training or have their usual structure of four days training this week into this weekend's game. So he's hopeful that there won't be, you know, it hasn't been too disruptive, which I suppose all other clubs will have been trying to follow the same structure as they usually do. Yeah, that's right. And I think, um, you know, 
in a similar vein, I was speaking to Billy Dawson Friday morning, you know, and that was at the point where the, the fixtures had just been, he just actually came off the training field. And I think it's very much a case that for clubs up and down the country, the expectancy was the games would be off as a, a mark of respect for, for the Queen dying. But until they got the, the news, they had to be professional and prepare for their next opponents. And in Ross County's case, it was, was Motherwell and they took that right to, to the limit until they, they heard the news. Um, so they, they wanted to strike the balance. Malky Bakai did want to give his players a couple of days off to, to get away from it. They didn't have the the game, but uh, you know they wanted also to make use of it and, as you say, have that, that uh, practice session on on the pitch as, as well, which is important, you know. And uh, and then the, the focus shifted straight on to St Johnston this weekend. So, it, it, you know, it wasn't a case of... Uh, you know, uh, down tools uh, on Friday, you know, it was important to, you know, you would expect that your opponents might be working hard over that, that weekend as well. So you've got to match that, even though you don't have a, a match to prepare for last weekend. So I think it was it was used very wisely, but at the same time, the balance was there that the players did get Sunday, Monday off uh, before the, the hard work uh, b- began again. So I think it was the, the right approach by Malky. And I think uh, I think we know that Malky's very thorough in his preparations and, you know, there's been, the county have been thrown before uh, with, with games called off uh, with with opponents, I think it was Hibs um, on a couple of occasions was were due up north and it, it didn't happen. So um, it, there's always a plan B with, with Ross County and, and uh, that came into effect uh, this week. You said last week, Chalky, if I do recall correctly, that it was a shame that they weren't facing St Johnston before they were facing Motherwell. Obviously the initial calendar had them down to play Motherwell last weekend, St Johnston this weekend and Having got points on the board the previous game, St Johnston looked like a, a chance to build a bit of momentum if that was the game first. Well, that's come to pass uh, because of other events. Um, so, yeah, they'll be pleased, do you think? Uh, I think th- I think they will be pleased in, in some regards. I mean, it, it it doesn't help in one way in that St Johnston did get a really good 3-0 win against St Mirren, which was quite unexpected, but... At the same time, I did feel Motherwell were coming in in quite formidable form and I thought that would have been a really tricky one for Ross County to negotiate because they've only banked four points so far despite you know a really, really tough schedule. Uh, I think they've got more of a chance and I would point uh, readers to Andy Skidder's uh, piece that he's got on- online about Ross County's record against uh, St Johnston, actually, and that will give any fan travelling down the A9 a, a bit of hope. Uh, McDermott Park's been a, a happy hunting ground and in fact overall in the head-to-heads County have only lost one match in 11 against St Johnston but a, a fair number of draws thrown in there as well so I think you know St Johnston's a, a venue that served County well they really need to be targeting this as a, a place where they can pick up three points for the reasons that I've suggested, you know, four points uh, isn't enough of a return at this stage for where Ross County want to be why should Ross County be assumed by many people that they'll be down the, in, the, in the top in the, in the bottom three, you, you know just fighting for survival, fighting for that 10th position after what they achieved last season, finishing 6th and Malky Bakai said after that spirited late fight back against Aberdeen that uh, this new group of players have come in, having seen the success of guys like Regan Charles Cook and Joseph Hungbo last year, who've made a name for themselves, uh, Dingwall, 
and they want to follow in their footsteps and make sure that you know Ross County are a, a force in the Premiership and winning games against St Johnson, who had a, a dreadful season finishing 11th last year, obviously Callum Davidson. The Saints boss has made a number of changes, uh, shaking them up a bit uh, during the transfer window, and they do have a wee bit more solidity about them. But I think um, if County can win in, in Perth, that would be a, a massive shot in the arm uh, for, where they, they, for what they want to achieve this season. In terms of Inverness, I know they were supposed to be playing Hamilton last weekend, and we talked about that as... You know, a chance to get a win that would have then put them on a collision course this weekend with Dundee and a chance to sort of reel in a side that are sitting slightly higher than them in the table. Well, that game didn't uh, go ahead, of course, but the Dundee clash still, to me, looks like a pretty massive one for Inverness. Um, if they win it, they sort of haul themselves right up there in the, the middle of the playoff positions, but if they lose it, it's kind of... It feel it would feel like a loss against a a very direct rival, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I spoke to Josh Meekins this week, who played for both clubs, and he said that even though they were really early in, in the season, six seven games, uh, it does already have have a feel that this this has got to be two teams that will be up vying for the title come the end of the season. Um, if it was against Cali Thistle this this weekend, you know, um, I think the the gap would be five points. But what Last weekend's break hasn't haven't spoken to. Um, I'm going to the press conference later. We'll hear from Billy Dawes, but haven't spoken to one of the players, Lewis Hyde, this week. He said that the the training ground's just been still buzzing after the their victory at Kirkcaldy two weeks ago. A, a really really assured performance, a two 0 win. Uh, they had a, a bit of confidence about them, and I think a, a telling thing about that is they, they went into that game on the back of three defeats in, in all competitions but and Billy Dodd said that the confidence was clearly down going into that game at Kirkcaldy and fans were maybe labelling Inverness as maybe not working, not trying hard enough which you know for professional players they don't like to hear. I think at Wraith Rovers there was a evidence that the, the players really had the bit between their teeth to, to show that um, they, they were up for this fight, they're, they're not going to be a team that are going to struggle this season down the wrong end. They want to be up challenging after going 45 minutes away from the Premiership last year. And Billy Dodd said that people need to recognise there are times when it looks as if a team or players are not trying. But when confidence is low, you know, it, it appears that way that they're not putting in the hard yards. But it's just, they find games more difficult unless you get that win. They've now got that win. And I think... Um, get into this game at Dundee I think if they can back up the road you know no worse off than they are now take a, a point uh, I think they'd be happy I've had a wee look into Dundee this week and I think this will be in Friday's edition and online um, on Thursday Thursday evening but um, I, I was a wee bit guilty of maybe thinking that Dundee were maybe not quite at it yet because I, I'd watched the recent game where they lost at Air United on a Friday night and Paul Third quite rightly says Friday nights are are great for football fans and it gives us all a chance to see the, the championship quite often and I think it was credit to Air that turned Dundee over 3-1 uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was all about how strong Air were rather than Dundee's weaknesses so uh, Dundee 8 wins and 11 in all competitions so I think Cali Thistle would take a, a point happily and, and come back up the road before they get a challenge cup action against Brecon next week Across the championship back in the northeast, Jamie Cove they dodged Dundee as we've just discussed, uh, 
last week they were meant to, of course, be playing on TV on the Friday, which would have been the first league game, men's league game ever broadcast in the Balmoral Stadium. I think given the steady improvements that they'd made over the, the past couple of weeks, I think they would have quite they would have quite embraced the challenge of playing um Dundee at home on a Friday night. I mean, yeah, granted they are probably one of the favourites for the for the title and a full time side, but given the whole occasion or that it would have been, given it's the first it's a televised league game that they would ever have had, and being at home, um, where they've traditionally been strong and I think they would have quite quite liked to have gone on and continued that. Um, whether the week off or kind of weekend off affects them, I don't. I don't really know. They've still trained as normal, so the preparations will all be geared towards Partick this this weekend. And Partick at the minute are probably one of the more challenging places to to go to. They've strengthened well in the summer, and they look like they they've got off to a good start this season and maybe pushing for an immediate return. Or sorry, not an immediate return, but a re, like a return towards. The Premiership, um, there'll obviously be a familiar face in the, in the Partick lineup with Harry Milne going there. And by all accounts, he's he's kind of really kind of hit his straps early. Um, it's his first time playing full time football. I think the, the move was agreed earlier in the year, and it was something that he was desperate to do. And he's gone he's gone straight into the, the Thistle team, and he's been playing week in week out. Um, Corville need no reminders of his of his strengths, having kind of been him been a key part of their rise through the leagues. And just the tables turned a wee bit now. They've got to try and stop him rather than uh, trying to get the best out of him. So it's a, it'll be a big challenge for them. There's no doubt about that going down there. Um, they've added a couple of young players to the squad since their last last league game against Hamilton. Um, Max Johnston has joined on loan from Motherwell and Kyle McClelland has joined from Hibernian. So there's two young defenders coming in there to add a wee bit of extra competition at the back. Whether they'll feature from the start on on Saturday or not remains to be seen but it's a little bit of extra depth that I think Jim McIntyre was wanting so it'll be a it'll be a tough one but I don't think there's any I think given the improvements that we've seen from Cove of late I don't think there should be any reason to go down there fearing what what might lie in store. Have you seen Kyle McClelland play in the flesh before? I know he's come up against Cove a couple of times I think he played against them with Rangers B in the Challenge Cup I think he played against them with Falkirk when he was on loan there. He's obviously Hibs are now his parent club, but I mean, there seems to be high hopes for him as a centre half. I don't. I I would have been at those games, but I don't kind of remember him delivering like any standout performances. And I mean, it's it's probably understandable given that um, Cove thumped Rangers B in the cup last season. I think it was five one, and they were pretty ruthless in that game. And then I don't think in the time that. The time that they're in the same league, I don't think Falkirk ever got a positive result against Cove. I think Cove have always kind of got the better of them. So I don't, there's nothing really that I can judge Kyle McClelland on. I mean, I watched the interview that he'd done with the club TV channel the other night and he kind of left Rangers in the summer to go to Hibs because he felt there was a more chance of, of game time. Um, he featured a wee bit in pre-season for, for Hibs before then deciding that he needed to kind of go out and loan and, and go and play. Um, he's at a good age, and I think he's um, he's talked about wanting to get back into the the Northern Ireland kind of setup after a, a wee bit of time away. So if he can use that as a as a platform to to get himself um, back into into that fold, it's a it should be a good a good move for all parties. If he's getting the chance to develop, Cove are getting a, a kind of a determined young defender, and then Hibs are maybe getting. Some, 
a player developed to come back to them stronger. We'll wait and see how he gets on then, right? Another short break and we'll discuss Peterhead and Elgin City to wrap up this week's episode. Right, Jamie, uh, interesting piece you wrote this week with Jim McAnally about Andy McCarthy, the Peterhead midfielder. I think he was initially expected to be out for, what, four weeks with an ankle injury? It's now been six weeks and I think they're no closer to determining what's going on. So they've, of course, had to turn to the scan and find out what is the matter with Andy McCarthy. What I think Jim McAnally said they had a similar um, experience with another player who had a similar injury previously. Yeah, he'd mentioned Scott Hooper, um, who kind of left a couple of seasons uh, a couple of seasons ago. But it's yeah, it's been a little bit of a problematic one, and maybe one that's symptomatic of the struggles that Peterhead have have had during during the the early season with losing a few key players to to long term injuries. Um, I did speak to to Jim on Thursday morning. Uh, about Andy McCarthy and uh, it doesn't appear to be anything more significant I think from what they've seen on the scan so it may be another couple of weeks or so before he can make a return to to training and I think they are desperate for bodies in the middle of the park so Andy McCarthy's return is is going to be one that's going to be most most welcomed I think um, it's been a pretty desperate start to the season I think as as everyone's been aware with the Firstly, the shortage of players and the high turnover of players and the lack of results coming in, and it's I think it's probably one of been one of Jim's biggest challenges as a in his kind of long managerial career to to try and kind of steady the ship and get it, get it going in the right direction again. They've got Kelty Hearts at, at home on Saturday, which of all the games at the start of the season, this is one where you probably look at thinking that. If there's ever going to be a time for it to to start turning round, this is this is going to be it. They're at home against the team that another part time team that's directly above them in the table who have not not maybe had the the start of the season they were hoping for. There's maybe some similarities you could you could pinpoint between Kelty and Cove. Both had a managerial change in the off season that wasn't necessarily probably the best timed. Um, both have maybe struggled to to get going in new leagues and. Found the going difficult, having been so used to success over the last the last few years. It's one that I think Peterhead are desperate for some sort of positive to to cling to or some sort of platform to get the season going. This I don't think I've probably said it before, but this this seems like as good a time as any to try and to try and get going. Um, they're at home. They're against a team that's in theory that shouldn't be any better than them. So this is the chance for. Peterhead hopefully to kind of banish the the kind of the wars that have beset their start to the season and give themselves something to build on. I suppose it's too early to start saying things like six-pointer. Elgin City, chalky, same as last week really. They were meant to be playing Albion Rovers on Saturday and we were talking about them stringing a couple of wins together and really, you know, starting to get things going. They're playing Stenhouse Muir this weekend. I mean, I suppose it, the aim remains the same, doesn't it? Yeah, the, the thing for Elgin is at least they're going into this one on the back of a, a victory, uh, a league victory. They've had two good wins in the, the SPFL uh, Trust Trophy against Dundee United and Stenhouse Muir. Um, and the Stenhouse Muir game uh, a few weeks ago was a 3-1 win. Now, I spoke to Ken Hester yesterday, um, which will be in Friday's edition of the 
PNJ, and he was saying that um, you know that three-one win as impressive as it was for Elgin uh, will just fire up the Warriors more for for this one. Um, he expects Steny to be a lot stronger, uh, but at the same time, Elgin, you know, have now they've got a couple of clean sheets recently as well, which has really helped them. There's been a bit of a reshuffle of the pack that uh, manager Gavin Price has, has talked about with Ross Draper coming in from Cove Rangers. Uh, Ross has went into the centre-half row and it's uh, pushed Darren McCarty further up the, the pitch. So um, they're looking quite solid. Again, the responsibility for goals seems to always be with Kane Hester and I know it's a, a long-term issue at Elgin that Gavin just can't find a, a striker to come in and complement Hester, who's got a terrific return of goals, I think 62 goals uh, Hester's now scored for, uh, including uh, seven this season. So, um, yeah, it's it's more of the same. Just, keep, you know, if they can get a win, they would uh, leapfrog uh, Steny and I think almost certainly push into the top four of the, the league. Dumbarton have got off to an incredible start in, in League Two, winning all their games. And I think only Dumbarton and Celtic have won all, all their games um, so far this term. So, um you know, Elga just need to be push up into that top four and see where they go. But the the travelling is steady with a, a bit of confidence and belief that they, they can build on that before they go to Peterhead next week in the in the third round of the cup. A derby for a northern goal, that one. Um okay, well that about ties us up for this week's episode of Northern Goal. Thanks to Jamie, Paul and Paul for joining me. Cheers guys. Thanks Ryan. Like no problem. If you've enjoyed this episode as always, like and subscribe in your favourite podcast app. Email any questions or queries to northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk and finally, enjoy the football as it returns this weekend. Hope you loved the episode. And if you did, we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.